Hello, Paul. Hello, Jeff. Oh, it's like inside. I was just waiting. Carry on. Bye. Hello Paul. Hello Jeff. How are you doing? I'm very well, how are you? Good, good. Made it? Yeah, finally. Got here eventually. Trains are a bit of a killer, aren't they? Nightmare today, nightmare. <clears throat> back in Cardiff again? Here we are, back in Cardiff, back in sunny South Wales. Second time. Mm. Uh, Nigel enjoyed it so much, he said, can I come back? He followed us here, I'm sure he followed us. Stalking, I think, is a technical term. <laughs> 45 minutes away from this you can't get wrong with Cardiff. <laughs> So yeah, back again. Big agile presence in Cardiff now, Paul. It's a growing community. Yeah. So I'm expecting people to jump out from you know within this pub and hear what we're talking about. But didn't the, hasn't the Southwest Agile Group said they've got some huge milestone number of members recently? Possibly, members I can't something. remember what that was. It was like 500 or something. It was like a huge number anyway. Really rather impressive. It's growing. Growing. They're, very, they're doing very well. I remember about how many have been. 12 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, uh, Ken Schreiber wanted to come and run a CSM course in Cardiff. That's right, yeah, yeah. Couldn't get enough people to fill it. I think you would now. Yeah, you would now. It's growing. Yeah. So, a big shout out to the. Uh, doing a shout out, how 90s might. Yeah, yeah. To the uh, South Wales Agile Group. But we're in the Corner House, which is a, a pub in uh, central Cardiff, at the corner of Mill Lane and Caroline Street. It's very nice, it's a sunny afternoon. And it's a cocktail day. And we are drinking well, gin cocktail. and tonics. Gin and tonics, yeah. Very, very nice. Very British. And it's some, isn't it some um, unknown or relatively unknown bottle of gin? Would you, would you remember what it was, Jeff? Silent Pool? Yeah, that's fine. I can't believe it's not. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's not Bombay Sapphire or, or Gordon's. This is Silent Pool gin. Mm. Very nice. Very drinkable gin. Very good. Nice sunny day to like cheers. Cheers, as usual. Yes, cheers, everyone. You can tell the different sound there to our normal mm. pint chink. So, we had um, we had a few questions we had, last time. Well, I'm not sure when it was. A while ago, wasn't it? Yeah. But um, one we we were reminded that we didn't we didn't cover. So uh, we thought we'd save it just for this special special topic. It was something to what was it? it was the what's the difference between doing agile and being agile? Oh, okay. And that's um, quite that's a, a, a distinctive question. Uh, two different states, I suppose. It's been around for a few years, which to me all uh, smacks of the you know, the mechanics. Yeah. against the, the heart, I suppose, you know, mm. the ethos. I think for me it's when you've mastered people, when when you've mastered people over process. Okay. When, you're, when you've embodied, it's a classic word of the, of the, of the age, isn't it? When you've embodied the spirit of it, okay. when you've taken it on and you believe, when you truly believe it, when it becomes you rather than, you, rather than when you're practicing it. This is an element of going through the cycles of conscious, conscious incompetence. Yeah. So first of all, being aware that what you're doing isn't working for you. Yeah. Which is a huge step in its own right. Yeah. Then comes the, the almost the panic of 
well, we've been doing it this way, we don't know any other way of doing things, what, what are we going to do? And then consciously trying to apply something different until you become competent at it. Yeah. Uh, but you still have to think about it, you still have to go through the motions of, yeah, we're going to have a, we're going to have another sprint planning session. We're going to have another sprint retrospective. These kinds of things uh, until you get to the point where you know not just what you're doing, but why you're doing it, and you've you've experimented with different ways of doing it, and achieving the purpose behind the process that you're consciously applying. So now, without even thinking about it, you're you're just doing the right things for the right reasons in the right way. Yeah, I think it it should become less onerous in a way it should just become part of how you how you work yeah i was looking up something just there on my phone um it came out a while ago now but so it seems to have lost a bit of energy but last year it looks like actually was the, the 12th principle movement for a while in agile um but if you remember this a lot of people signed up to be a 12th principalist i think it was um what was the agile the, manifesto yeah the agile manifesto the 12th principle which i think for them, they were saying the 12 principles, I think, building projects around motivating individuals, you know, Number five. time and space to get the job done and remove barriers or whatever. Um, something like that. I seem to remember that was the one they focused on saying, of all girls, this is the key one that people are losing okay. sight of. A lot of people signed up for it. Oh, okay, right. As, a, as a, that embodies the, yeah. the spirit yeah. of it. And that was the being agile thing. You, know? yeah. you can get a bit caught up with frameworks and methodologies. And yeah. cons- that's the concept of getting back to the core, which is give people the chance, give them space, empowerment, clear away the noise, mm. and let them do their stuff. Mm. I always thought there was a 13th principle. Which was? Well, there's... Um, so there, it's the one around self-organising teams. The best architectural requirements and designs emerge from self-organising teams. Whenever I ask people to <coughs> to look through the, the, the agile principles and sort of sum up what they mean for them, yeah. that one people spend relatively little time on, and they just pick out the word self-organising teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's glaring, obviously, staring you in the face. That self-organising teams, and there's no getting away from the fact that that is a huge part of it. Yeah. <coughs> but for me, the the harder, the more challenging, and perhaps more integral part of, of that principle there, which just gets glossed over, is the whole idea of emergence. It's accepting yeah. that things aren't predictive. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, the best architectures emerge, the best requirements emerge, the best yeah. design, and for, for a lot of organisations, that is actually a huge philosophical yeah, point exactly. of... Yeah conflict. Yeah. No, they actually challenge that and argue rationally and logically whether that's true or not. And it's, it's probably the boldest statement, I think, within the Agile Manifesto. Yeah. And I think a lot of Agile people don't actually do that. No? I think I see a bit now what I would call, it's not true, but it's a simple pity catchphrase, good scrum, bad Agile. Okay. Where their their battles are in a good shape, you know, and they do the daily scrums nicely, but there's that entire predictive tone to the entire thing. Mm-hmm. You know, battles captured up front, written up by someone, yeah, and never changes. Never changes. Detailed teams just pull off the top and grind yeah. it through. And um, I think, uh, yeah, that that sort of emergence evolutionary. I think I prefer the word emergence from you, Jeff. The evolutionary lacks direction, uh, but that sort of evolutionary approach to the creation of work. I think it's often missing in many people's conversations. So here's a difference, my different take on it as well, is that the, the, the difference one where you're being agile to just doing agile is where you've embraced and you're, you've tailored your own practices and your own process, created your own process from those principles. Give an example. So a company that I've done a fair bit of work with have, have now 
almost automatically, without too much upfront thinking, embraced their a new client or a new customer with a more agile um, process of of work of tendering, basically of being of putting there saying this is what we can do, but we're going to involve our developers and our um, teams in in this process. Um, we're going to we'd like to work through this with you in a more iterative fashion. Um, and work, we'd like someone that we can have regular point of contact with you um, and have some daily chats just to make sure everything's kind of going smoothly. And that's just, and, and that's kind of emerged from practicing Scrum for a while, but it seemed like a natural thing, next step to make that they hadn't done before. I just rethought a new way of doing something without really following a set process that they've been told about before. Okay? For me, that that's. When you understand it, when you understand the principles well enough, you apply the principles to new practices mm -hmm. without even a second thought, without even considering whether it was the right thing to do. Mm. Which, which you've done too early can be a dangerous thing, right? Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Mister, I know some people. Recently, I was reading um, a few people discussing Shuhari, you know, the martial yeah. art thing, and actually saying it's not a great model for what we do. We do something different. And again, we said, I think last time we met, we said, you know, all models are broken to a certain, to a certain extent. I quite like Shuhara. I get a lot of value from it. I'm not a martial artist, so I can wear it lightly. I'm not going to take it too seriously. Yeah. But the idea of sort of slavishly following, then bending, then transcending, I think is an interesting mental model. Uh, I think you know, too many people think they've transcended when they haven't. But I think when you have reached that point, it's, it's not transcending method so much. It's just applying, as you said, that, that new way of thinking to other things, yeah. to discover new opportunities and new, new angles. Yeah, new ways, new, new ways of thinking become new habits, if you know. There's potentially two aspects of dysfunction there. One is the transcending to it, or think you, thinking you've transcended too early. But then the other is almost not having the confidence to break free of the, I'm going to do the uh, inverted comma finger symbol, uh, the, the safety of the methodology or the framework. And I think to me that's where the good scrum, bad agile comes. I'm gonna to stick to agile, we're gonna have this we're gonna have this daily scrum, we're gonna ask these three questions because that that's what it says in the book. Yeah. yeah. Um, rather than understanding why and then and, and then working out your own way of meeting that 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 purpose. Yeah. And that, that lack of confidence, that lack of self belief to be able to say, I know why we're doing this, I know where we're going. And actually, I think this is probably slightly better for us. Yeah. Uh, probably see more of the former than the latter. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah, well, I think um, I don't see too much. We are really good and transcended, and thus bend and wobble. And I see a lot of computers. The scrum says no. Computer says no. Yeah. Uh, methodology thinking. So how do you? I think it was the journey. I think I always think Scrum's a journey as a, as a direction, three-dimensional, not just a picture, but you know, a, yeah. as you approach it, how you adopt it, how you use it, how you grow with it. And these are more of a, and again, it's hard to communicate, I guess, in PowerPoint slides or on a flip chart, but you know, how do you communicate that depth of nuance? I, yeah. um, I Would you say that when you're being agile, you're less aware that you are doing it? Yeah, it just becomes part of, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. <coughs> It's not in future. You, don't talk you, about it. you yeah. probably wouldn't talk about it very much. But I think you're more. I think on, on the flip side to that, you're more aware when you deviate from it. Okay. Because it, it actually starts flagging up 
examples of where you're contradicting your your new values. Mm. It feels wrong. Mm. Yeah. Whereas beforehand, it doesn't feel wrong because it's still quite similar to what you weren't doing. You were yeah. doing not that long ago. Yeah. Mm. So is it a time? Do you think it takes time? I think it tingles your spidey sense. Yeah. Is there such a thing as an overnight success? Or, I mean, I'm just trying to think of the of a time, the time lapse here. How long typically can it take? People always ask me that all the time. How long should it take for a team or an organisation to become, you know, to be agile? How long will it take for you to get fit? But on yeah. that, on that, actually, so I hadn't been asked this question before. I don't think. And then I got asked it twice within the space of a week, which was, what's the, give me the example of the most effective implementation of Agile that you've seen. Say that again. Give me an example. Give me the, give me the, the name of the company who you think has been the most, had the most oh, effective okay. implementation from an Agile perspective. Okay. Well, I've never been asked that before. Mm. Uh, I got asked it twice from different people from different okay. companies in different places. <clears throat> did you have an answer for them or did you...? Not really, because my view was um, effective for me means something different to what effective might mean for somebody else. So because I'm not a software person, I think, I think Agile in the software world is quite easy. Mm. I mean, it's not, mm. but I think it is, mm. in that it's, it's, it's made for it. The software industry is made for Agile. Mm. Right? It's, it's so relevant, it's so applicable, um, and there's so much out there to help you, and it's geared at software teams. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so I think doing, doing Agile in software doesn't really impress me. Right. So somewhere like Wikispeed, where they've applied it to a team of volunteers distributed on a, you know, on a completely different environment involving hardware that that impresses me the, mm. the projects at BT that I found the most impressive were the ones that weren't software based they were mm. they were a mix of hardware and, and things like that so to me that that impressive nature comes from where it's harder to do it mm. but the other thing that would factor into my decision would be longevity mm. so this this when you say how long does it take mm. uh, so uh, one of the one of the one of the first clients I had as an external consultant, the fact that they're still going. For many yeah. people, they'd see that as, as a sign of fate, yeah. because they should, have, they should have turned this around, they yeah. should have transformed it. For me, it's, it's a constant process, yeah. Yeah. and they haven't given up. Mm. They, they, they're, they, they're comfortable with the fact that they're not perfect still, mm. and they're still improving. Mm. I think that is an impressive mm. feat for me. Mm. And that, that, that acceptance of continual change, mm is to me again perhaps another another part another hallmark of being agile is mm. knowing that you're always going to be in a state of flux and change. resilience to it yeah, yeah. It's like, there is no end game and, and not optimism yeah. you're, you're trying to make yourself adaptable mm. not adapting you know yeah. you're you're in a state of constant ability to take change it means it's very much more uncomfortable than it used to be just because the, the world and the politics change you reminded me of a uh, conference i attended recently about um, <coughs> I went to the Applied Improvisation Network Conference, which was a, oh, yeah. um, as you will both know, I'm a massive fan of improvisation and the, the background and the, the theories and principles, which are very similar to an agile kind of mindset. <clears throat> and there, there, in the Applied Improvisation world, you hear about where improv is being applied to industry. <clears throat> now, this is not just software industry. So there, people value responsiveness, 
adaptability, uncertainty, all this, these things, but they're applying it to things like humanitarian projects. They're applying it to bullies in schools. You know, mm-hmm. Children are experiencing yeah. bullying yeah. and how they can respond to that and how they can be comfortable within themselves and embrace that kind of that vulnerability and then, and then take some positive action. Um, it's about there's, there's people that are also dealing with uh, young offenders you know, in, 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 in prisons and, and institutes trying to give them confidence to tell their story to try and change their narrative all this type of stuff mm. and you think that for me that for, if people can start to understand the benefits of change changing themselves then that's where I think real agility if you've got a number of people an, an organisation for those people then you've got a real a real transition, you've got a real change. So for me, I think you define it by the people, you define it by the yeah. people you employ, you define it by their spirit of what, in terms of what they bring to the party and what the attitude they have. Yeah. That, that's what's impressive to me. You said about companies, I, I don't get, it sounds awful, I don't get impressed by companies, really. No, um, you get impressed by, by people, people yeah. the people in the companies. Yeah. And, um, and people who are pushing, like you were saying, Jeff, I find that very interesting. My daughter is very soon uh, starting school. Yeah. She's four, just turned four, and um, we were having a chat about this earlier on today, but just the school's a great school. It's genuinely a great school by measure of other schools, mm. but it's a 19th century solution mm. to a 21st century problem. Just things like uniforms, put my back up, is like conformity and, you know, it, it's um, large class sizes of just children being the, the education is great, but it's just there's so much. A lot of what we do um, has so much applicability in those areas. Why I'm quite impressed by the people doing the agile school stuff. Mm. You know, doing a lot of learning and spreading the sort of uh, methods and tools and principles and practices into the school world. Now I don't know enough about it. I don't understand it enough, but I'm impressed by that because mm. I think that's where this stuff could really help and take traction. You know, um, was it the, the quote? Um, uh, uh, give me a child at seven, I'll give you a man or whatever it is, you know, get them early, you can found them and uh, if we're going to build them in with these 19th century, and it's harsh for schools, I don't mean to be harsh, but it can really feel like that, these 19th century um, m- methods and principles and practices, then we've got to remould them as adults. I think we can mould them as children and that way help them understand that creativity is important, empowerment is important as a child, you know, um, uh, having uh, bounded creativity from the improv world, you know, yeah, yeah. these are all really well, important Well, this, this is the, imp- the, the interesting thing that um, I spoke to a lot of people at this conference mm. who had regular coaching, oh, not coaching, regular workshops mm. in places like Apple, yeah. Intel, Google, mm. and it's, it's something that's just built into their curriculum, it's something that yeah. It's free. Yeah. The, the company provides these opportunities for you to just go and learn these skills, with the hope that I think that it just makes you a more rounded, yeah. more appreciative individual. Yeah. You know, and, and it gives you those skills. Yeah. And I think that's great. Yeah, I, I, uh, I agree. Um, but it, I think it I also. Want to, I want to ask you about your comment about uniform. Yeah. What don't you like about uniform? As a child, I was fine with uniform. I just find it just seeing my person, just seeing my daughter in a uniform and seeing all the others in uniform it's it's like they're all just automatons all the same child cloned it's very difficult for me i don't i've never thought of clothes as being an expression of individuality but it seems to just be a um 
I'm not sure if it's intentional, but it's like an implicit. It's a sense of common of identity to me. It's a sen- there's a sense of discipline as well. There's a sense of who we are, and I think that's something that a lot of teams, well, certainly the you, good teams that did, I see. Did the teams choose it? That's different to being imposed on them. So if I had a team that said, hey, we are, I think it's in Peoplewear, Tom DeMarco's thing about the, the black team and they took the name black by some reason, they end up wearing black and it become a big thing about them. Being that tribalism, being self-generated, being self-led, I think it's a lovely idea. Yeah. I think being imposed by an organisation that I'm not fond of. I, I To be frank, I, until it's happening to me, I've never given it any thought. I've always thought uniforms are fine, I've always thought coffee, yeah, put them in a class and teach them. But it's just now seeing my individual little daughter, who's very, I love, and obviously have a great, too, far too much time for, she's yeah, my little individual flower, seeing her put through that, the butterfly, through that wheel, I find. I've been different. to, a, I think, in one, one company where there was still kind of a corporate uniform. It says they had to wear the brand, they had to wear the logo. They didn't, whether it was shirt and tie or whether it was polo shirts or lab coats or whatever it was, they had to wear the company insignia. To me, the uniform is a symbol because I don't see teams wearing uniform, but it's a symbol and it's something that's often, for me, at risk of being overlooked with the agile movement is that there's, there's a lot of opening up empowerment to teams. But equally, if you're going to be a member of a team, if you're going to be a member of an organisation, any organisation, you have a sense of responsibility. You're, you are a part of that. You, you owe that your teammates, you owe your colleagues, you owe your, your, the other members of your organisation something. And it's a symbol of we are in this together, this is us. Um, and I don't think... But that's volunteer. No, it's, it's not. hard, you can script it. No, it's not. By joining... I mean, your, your, your parents are making that choice for you. But by joining that organisation, you are accepting that I have a, you have a responsibility to that organisation. Yeah, yeah so, so my issue is who made that choice? Your parents. Yeah, which is not you. By sending you to that school. So that, that's why I think I have an issue with it. It's being imposed. Mm. I don't like that. But the uniforms are simple. So that's a symbol of you, conformity. Then. It's not your problem with uniforms, that you're making a choice to send them to an institution. But as, as, a, parent, as, as a parent, you make a choice on what you think your child would be best for your child, don't you? And nothing comes free, right? So, you know, you get the benefits of being part of a school, you get the benefits of being part of a team, of a class, and you have to put something into that as well. Mm. Which is... Yeah, but that sounds like fascism. (laughs) You know, you've got to be very careful here. I think, um, for me, I think uh, uniform is one example of many aspects in education that is still very class-based and very, you know, we are breeding a certain type of person for a certain type of experience. And I think we need to be breeding children and people in a different way, in a different style for a new world. You know, we don't have manufacturing much here anymore. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have less. But this, this is the whole Ken Robinson kind of education revolution thing, isn't it? Yeah. That as, a, as, a, as a system, the education yeah. system, it has to change. It has, yeah. it has to it's still, like I say, it's still based on yeah. 19th century industrial revolution, kind of, you know, Britain. But it's yeah. Yeah, that's a different. That's a, that's a that's a whole yeah. podcast in itself. But um, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, that's what what impresses me is people are fighting that fight. And if you, still but then if you, still if you can go to a, even if you go to a, a school, yeah. you're generally impressed by the teachers or yeah. the or the headmaster or yeah. some someone who inspires yeah. your child or yeah. someone who yeah. has you believe has yeah. the, right, the right principles yeah. or the right values for what you want your yeah. child to learn. It's the same for an organisation. 
Yeah, people um, over iPads. Yeah, it, yeah. It's it's you. If you're an employee, you're looking for a new job. You look at the people. Yeah. You look at the people you're going to work with. You look at the person who's interviewing you. You, you look at everything like that. But if I had a job that I was really inspired by, with people I was really inspired by, I'll wear the shirt. I'll be. I'll drink that Kool Aid. That's something. That's the yeah. tribe I want to be part of. Yeah, yeah. You know, whether it was applied on top or not. I don't know. I never give much thought. So I think on a previous podcast you mentioned Ken Robinson before, and it sounds nice. And I was, but just now um, being committed rather than just being involved in it, it's caused me to open my eyes to a lot mm. of that sort of things that I've not probably given so much thought to. And bringing it back, that's what impresses me out there of people doing this stuff and being agile, you know, rather than just doing Scrum and doing Kanban and doing whatever in a software company. There's another guy at this conference who's basically on some kind of educational um, government, like a, um, to to look at global environment issues through improv and things like that. About the fact that um, trying to cut down pollution and all, all environmental issues and things like that. It's, it's great where you think people are trying to apply these types of emergent thinking to new ways of thinking to. Why are you why are you getting trying to solve ecological? He's saying why are you trying to solve ecological issues with a room full of ecologists? Why where's the diversity? Where's why don't you get to speak to school children? Why don't you speak to drug dealers? Why aren't you speaking to grumpy teenagers? All this type of thing. It's, you need diversity. Divergent. If you're trying to think diver, divergently about it, yeah. Why aren't you involving yeah. more people? And it's that kind of thing. You think, my God, this is a, this strikes a huge chord with how corporate transformation is. Yeah. We're trying to think about things in the same way with, with the same people. You need, you need diversity. And we need some overarching conversation, I think, about that. Um, I don't know if Agile's going to be the umbrella, or if Agile's just a small factor in a larger umbrella. But we want to start bringing this stuff together, you know, a little bit. Not in some grand theory, just like we're doing so much so. A scrum umbrella. That's my turn. <laughs> That's my turn, by the way. I gave Copy. it to Jeff Sutherland. He Hashtag. didn't want it. He didn't want Hashtag it. Hashtag copyright. Go on. Uh, but, um, Interesting, I'm doing a course called that. Um, <laughs> but the point was, is there needs to be some sort of... Being have a, I don't want to give it a name, because assuming you give it a name, you found it, but having some idea that Agile is a huge, major leading strand, but there are other strands. Perhaps the name Agile is, is holding it back. Well, Perhaps it's too specific. For, for what we do... For, for maybe, software. Maybe, yeah, maybe fine, but I mean, for the broader stuff involving improv, yeah, involving yeah. school, I think a broader term may be interesting. But the risk, if you give it a term, you bind it, you bound it. It becomes limited. Mm. At the moment, it's boundless. It's people. It's just a. It's a. It's a. It's a bigger. People tie the word agile to software, which yeah. is what Jeff's point is that it's a very easy place to apply it. Mm-hmm. But the software is a means to an end. Yeah. The only lucky thing we have is many companies are becoming software companies. It, the they're whole software is the Trojan horse. Coming back to this, the question being. Take 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 the software. Take our jobs. Take take the industry out of this. Yeah. What makes us as human beings more agile? Be, or how can we be agile rather than do it? What makes a human? We, I mean, we're doing these things on a daily basis anyway. We respond. We respond. Humble. Open to being wrong. Yeah. Willing to fail. Willing yeah. to try. Try things out. Yes. But ruthlessly and prioritizing. Yes. We do that on a daily basis anyway. Yeah. Well, we have to. Yeah. So it's 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 people that are willing. To do that, I think makes makes yeah. you more agile. I think I don't but think I think, it's, I think tolerance is a big part of it. And we've said this before that that 
me and you have said this before, Jeff, is that many people are trying to look to say, why aren't we doing this right? Or why, what's the problem? Why, why aren't we achieving this? Why aren't we more agile? But I'm trying to look at that as a company looking at everyone else. But the thing is, you've got to look at yourselves and say, am I really? If everyone was looking yeah. at themselves yeah. personally and saying, am I really doing this? Am I really experimenting and trying, to, um, trying things out and, and being open to failure, being open to feedback and changing how I work? Then unless everyone's doing that, you're not going to make any headway anyway. I don't know whether this, I think I think this is related. It might not be. I was asked a question a while ago by somebody. So I was teaching a course. I'm just going to start the course with, you know, if there's one question on your mind yeah. that at the end of two days, if we can get answers, this won't be a complete waste of your time, what would it be? <laughs> Uh, and usually, you know, you get, how do you do Agile if, if your development team is spread across the world or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, this one guy said, I want to know whether what I'm doing is right or wrong. How do I know if I'm right or wrong? I thought, it's a, it's a great question. It's also a terrible question, but it's a great <laughs> question. And so how do you know whether you're right or wrong? If you're trying to be Agile, how do you know if you're right or wrong? Because Failing is right, but, but equally, at wrong. some point, failing yeah. is wrong as well. Yeah. And more often than not, especially especially on the training courses that I run, there there will be times when actually principles will come into conflict. So they'll have to choose between following one of the agile principles or following the other. They can't necessarily follow both. Uh, so simplicity or change or simplicity or technical excellence or something like that. And they, they can't do them both. Yeah. Uh, and so how do you know to make a decision? Because normally my response is, well, look at the principles. Mm-hmm. Think of, think of you know, your personal principles, your personal values. And also, if you want to be doing Agile because you think that's a means to success, then look at those Agile values and make your decisions based on them. But it's not always that simple. So here, how, how do you know if you're doing things right or wrong? interesting um, again back to this applied improvisation conference which is in my head right now but Paul Z. Jackson who's the president of the he did a talk at the beginning and he's, he's he, he raised this big thing about he's got a real bugbear with people always talking about celebrating failure which is he thinks is, is fundamentally wrong we shouldn't really nobody's you're not going to be able to sell that you're not going to be able to sell the fact we should never celebrate failure because failure basically is something that's happened that wasn't supposed to happen yeah but the fact is that what we're going to try and convince people is that it's safe to fail. That's the difference. Yeah. It's not necessarily a big yeah. whoop, whooping yeah. and, and chest bumping when we fail, but the fact is that it's okay to fail and we can learn from those things. And that's the difference is that the people that are, are more willing to, to do that. Just generally building environments where it's safe to fail. I don't just mean emotionally, I just mean physically. Like if I put a, talk about software apologies, if I put a release out, and it goes wrong, mm. can I withdraw it easily? Yeah, exactly. That's it to fail. Yeah, yeah. It goes wrong, you just take it back out and there's no harm, no no, no sweat, you know. Mm. But when the organisation's not built there, built for fail safe, is it perfect, then put it in, rather yeah. than we can get it out of it and perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's acknowledging, uh, to try and put some words you just said there into a different sentence, it's not about creating a fail safe environment because that's yeah. just a fallacy, yeah. it's just yeah, not going to exactly, happen, yeah. but creating a safe to fail environment. Emotionally, technically, procedurally. Yeah. We, make, we make mistakes on a daily basis in our personal lives. You know, the facts, you know, it's. Some of us more than others. Yeah, but uh, we do. It's, it's like. Yeah. We, do, we have to re 
rejig our daily our daily routine every day based on the fact that I got up too late this morning to, to walk to this train station or the fact that I go downstairs and you forgot to bring something from up yeah exactly it's it's small it's tiny thing I can't remember where I put my sunglasses it's just quite deep actually I try not to get too deep but I'm reading a book at the moment called um, is it The Little Life or A Little Life heard about no it's quite it's it's a huge book it's really good Uh, I'm only about halfway through novel yeah yeah, yeah. I think I'm reading it let me just check Yanagahara is the guy that wrote it Anya Yanagahara I can't describe it in a way that's appropriate for a podcast. It's, on, quite, Jeff, it's quite deep, anyway. Um, no, I'm just picking out one little bit of it. And um, this yeah, guy yeah, asked, yeah. asked, yeah, that's not, yeah, yeah. asked. Um, oh, so it's not a spoiler. Hmm. What's this? Just about to have a baby. What's the secret? What's the secret of being a parent? Yeah. And the, and the, the wisdom. So one thing. One thing. What would you? What would you tell me, Dad? What? He said, uh, the secret of being a good parent is constantly recalibrating. And he went into it saying, you, know, you have your ideas as to, as to what you're thinking and, and what your view of the world is. Yeah. But then you think of this little person and then it changes. And then your hopes for them are this, but then something else happens. And then so you have to constantly rechange. And the quicker you can recalibrate yeah. your view of the world to the new surroundings, the better parent you'll be, you know, mm. the better person you'll be, yeah. and the happier. And I think that's, that's, that's for me. You know, it's, the heart of being agile really is is how well and how quickly and how comfortably you can recalibrate because yeah. it's all new information all the time isn't it yeah and the comfort in doing that yeah and it seems that as a species naturally we find comfort in not having to calibrate mm. or recalibrate just want to stay in our own little world don't we yeah a bit actually challenging your views yeah. one of the you know, you're a big fan of Mike Cohn as well I know you both are yeah. um, he's, he did a I'm not sure what you call it, like a, a webcast type, podcast type thing. Uh, it's all about, I might be wrong, I think that's probably, of all, yeah. he's a fantastic writer, everything he's written I think is worth reading, but of all the stuff he's, he's written and done, I think it's probably one of the most powerful things he's ever done, is constantly challenge yourself to think, mm. right, argue like you're right, but listen as if you're wrong, yeah. just think, I might, I, I truly believe this, but I might be wrong. And I think if everyone in an organisation is thinking yeah. like that, you're agile. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Here's what Neil Malarkey said on that impact course we did. You know, yeah. For many people, I've just done it to you, gaps in their speaking is not listening. Yeah. They're just waiting for to, to was it, a reload. Reloading, yeah. Some people reload. don't listen, they're just reloading, yeah. yeah. It's, that's a great quote, I use it all the time. And it, yeah, and that's a lovely thought pause, pregnant pause, to uh, to finish on. So thank you very much, Jeff. Thank you very much, Nigel, for following us. It's been lovely. To Cardiff. It's been lovely. Two, we'll have to do it a third time. I think a third time would be lovely. <laughs> we'll, we'll try and come back sometime. Cheers, See guys. Thank the, you very return much. Return of the Agile after the Agile strikes back. <laughs>